Hello and welcome back to the Adamsons Versus. I hope you are all well and enjoyed our last episode, the Adamsons Versus the BBC. Uh, and lovely warm welcome to my co-host, James Adamson. Hello everyone. This is where it gets confusing because I am also called James Adamson. Um, what are we talking about this week then? So the title we've given this Adamsons Versus is The Adamsons Versus Tales from the Campfire. Uh, you had the idea that... we. we we like to sort of scour around and find an interesting story or an issue of the day. Sometimes a photo pops up like the, the Taliban on pedalos or something like that. And that sparks off a whole story. And we were looking around and then you just said, well, look, why don't we just do like almost like a compilation episode? Where we say, look, we're just going to say various stories that we like, our favorite anecdotes, our favorite tales. We say, we'll talk it like tales from the campfire. So this is our podcast equivalent of sitting around the fire uh, and just telling various stories that uh, we hope will amuse and entertain you. Yeah, it, it did feel like, you know, last month it was the BBC sacking, or it's probably closer to two months ago, it was about the BBC when they sacked Guy Lineker for comparing the government to Nazis, yeah. which they are. <laughs> um, and it's been, you know, it's been a lot of discussions about just all the kind of nasty stuff in the world. Um, yeah, we, we were determined at this time we were going to do something uh, more offbeat. Uh, and the first thing that came to mind was let's just do various stories that uh, that will entertain us. Because we have, if we entertain ourselves, there's a chance we'll entertain you. Yeah, we try and poke fun at the stories we talk about and we try and lighten the mood with, you know, things like Florida Man. But we thought this week, why don't we just tell funny stories that have either happened to us or we've seen and just... Um, and yeah, just go from there, really. So, Jota, do you want to start, or should I? Um, why don't you start? Why don't you start with uh, the when you were, when you were thinking of this? What what was your favourite? Uh, what was the first sort of story or, or tale that sprang to mind that you thought would uh, would be good for this podcast? It would it would probably be any of the most bizarre stories I've had working in the world of retail. Go on, um, then. you know, without naming where I work or the um, the people involved. Um, I used to work in a, a supermarket. I still work for the same company, just in a different store. But I used to work in a supermarket in quite a rough area. Um, and the clientele you would get in there were some of the most amusing people on the fucking planet. Um, so a lot of them would be, you know, drug users, former drug users. And I would, I loved the day that these people would come in because it was always entertaining. Usually they were shoplifting, but sometimes they were just absolutely fucking hilarious. Um, the the main story that springs to mind was this guy who came in, and he uh, he used to be like a a drug user, but he he was telling me a story that he wasn't anymore. Like he'd gone to recovery, which is obviously um great and good for him. And he came <laughs> he came in and he went, "Excuse me, mate, do you sell on lawn kings?" And I went, "What the fuck is on lawn kings?" <laughs> I didn't say that to him, but my internal oh, I monologue... Remember, I remember yeah. this now. I remember you telling me this. Yeah, my internal monologue is going, what the fuck is on Long Kings? And I went, hey, I don't really know what that is. Um, I've never heard of it, and I've worked here for a good few years now. Um, and I've never. And he went, oh, it's just, I need this on Long Kings. I think it's like a it's like a chocolate spread. And I went, right, we, we have rather limited options for chocolate spread. We have our own brand. And then we have Nutella, like pretty much every other supermarket. Um, yeah. So, mate, I can take you to that part of the shop um, and maybe you can find something that is more suitable uh, or might be a suitable replacement for your online king. So I take it to the shelf and I show him our own brand and then I show him um, Nutella and he goes, no! And I was like, fucking hell. 
<laughs> anyway, I need on lawn kings. It's on the list. And I went, mate, can I see this list? And he went, aye, aye, mate. So I read the list clear as day. Not even hard to read onion rings. <laughs> right. And I went, mate, this says onion rings. And he went, oh, do you have them? <laughs> as if he hadn't just made up an entire chocolate spread. He was giving it all sorts. It was like, oh, yeah, I think it's like £8 a jar for this chocolate spread. I was like, what the fuck? This is before the cost of living prices when Nutella didn't cost, you know, an arm and a leg. Pounds, yeah. yeah. But can I can I just add a little one to this? This probably isn't like an anecdote in its own right, but it's sort of it's sort of a little bit like yours. Um, my my wife was <clears throat> she's working on a project which took her to America a fair bit. She was fine over there for meetings and staying, uh, and you know she would find herself. You know the, the company says, "Well, we've made you fly over here. We'll pay for you to eat in a local restaurant." So she's in the local restaurant ordering her food, and she says, "What would you like to drink?" And she says, "She'd like." water and they go away and she assumes they're just you know working on working on the food and the, you know all these people are americans the, the waitress comes back and says look i'm sorry i've spoken to the the, the barman um he's he, he he's he's not heard of that drink and he's not sure he's got the the ingredients anyway so i'm afraid that we, we, we can't do that <laughs> uh, and my wife's like no <laughs> I, no I, I just want water she says, what, really? I'm not sure about it. And eventually she sort of says, you know, it comes out of the tap where you pour it from a bottle. She goes, oh, you mean water? Uh. And literally the pronunciation of an English word by an English person had thrown them off and had the barman scouring his little book of cocktails to see if he could do a water. Well, it's like, fucking hell. I don't know. Right, so I'm, I don't know if it's just me, but I get quite irritated at the pronunciation of things. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, obviously, the famous one is your mum not being able to pronounce ciabatta. Yeah, and, that and fills it, you with it, so it much. Makes me homicidally angry. It doesn't bother anybody else. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. She says ciabatta, right? Fuck. Right. Now, I can do one better. There used to be a woman that would come into the shop for like a local. I think it was like an ice cream parlor, but they would do like little sandwiches as well. The sandwiches seemed like yeah. they were really nice. She'd buy like the nice bread, and she'd buy the the uh, you know that parma ham. Yeah, you know the really nice stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the love of Christ, she could not fucking pronounce that fucking word that you call. What, what's the Italian for ham? Can you remember? It's a prosciutto. Yeah, prosciutto. Inshallah, when I tell you, she said prosciutto. <laughs> oh, I was fucking. I was. I, I was sitting on the till. She would go, yeah, and that's ten packets of prosciutto, and I was <sighs> trying genuinely to not fucking overarm punch her over the till. I was like, please stop saying that. I know. I know you've got. I'm going to count them so you don't have to say prosciutto because it's the most... Like, like, she must have... She, I think she thought the word mosquito yeah. because it has an I-U-O yeah, yeah. sort of number. She thought oh, pros- prosciutto has that kind of yeah. similar motive. Oh, yeah, that... See, you see, the thing is, if it's something that pushes your buttons, it makes you really angry, but it's all in the eye of the beholder because what's really funny is, is that m- most of the reason that, that my mum's pronunciation of ciabatta annoys me is because she's my my mum and she had exactly the same thing with her mum her mum used to irritate her beyond words and I just thought my nana was just cute and funny right but the best one and I'm sure I've told you this and I apologize to our eagle-eared listeners who, who if I've ever kind of thrown this in as a late anecdote at the end of a previous episode 
But one time we're sitting at my nana and granddad's house. We've gone to visit. And I don't even know how it came up in conversation. She might just decided to throw it in without really ensuring it was relevant to the, the current topic. And she just said, I don't like Aborigines. Oh, dear. And we all paused and went, oh, shit. My lovely Nana's a racist and we're about to find out why. I hear you're a racist now, Nana. And after the pause, where we all sort of went, oh, my God, what's this? Yeah, she goes, but courgettes are quite nice. Oh, thank fuck. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, she, she didn't like, uh, she didn't like uh, Aborigines in her curry. Uh, Sorry, so I, I sidetracked you there. Are you going to tell me some more tales of, uh, of, of shoplifters and, and junkies from your shop? So, yes, I think... My favourite ones are like the ones where they're just so hilarious because if a shoplifter comes in, you're not meant to chase them. Like mm-hmm. as much as you want to, and it angers you, and it really pisses you off, it's not worth it. A lot of these people, like they will shout at you saying, "I've got a dirty needle," and oh, the, the, even worse. Like that shop I worked in, I was mm-hmm. in the shop, I was on my break, but we did get robbed at knife point once, or I think it was with a screwdriver, but that would still kind of fuck you up if used as a weapon. So it, it isn't yeah, worth probably it. Probably hurt more than a knife because it's so yeah. blunt. And you're in the store, if anything happens to you, um, you're insured. Like, the yeah. company insure you, that's what you sign in your contract. If you run out the store chasing after a shoplifter and anything happens to you, you're not insured. I've heard stories of um, yeah. managers that have, like, run out and then they've ran into, like, the metal, like, the bollards that mm-hmm. stop cars mounting the curb. And, like, one of them got, like, in serious trouble for it because he was off for two weeks because he injured himself running into one. Yeah. Um, not insured. Uh, yeah. So, anyway... But the best shoplifter ones are the ones that just kind of amuse you. Like, I once watched a guy shove an industrial amount of gammon down his pants. <laughs> like, genuinely, of course, like, of gammon slices, a gammon joint. I don't know how they, like, how big his boxers must I think he might have worn, like, his, like, nan's, like, granny pants just for a bit of, like, extra basket room. With uh, bicycle clips at the bottom. Yeah. Um, or a couple of, couple of clothes pegs to, to close them off. Yeah, <laughs> genuinely, I was, I was astounded. It sounds we, like a character from Viz. <laughs> we confronted him and he got the stuff out and I went, I'm no fucking touching that. <laughs> so, some guy, like there was three of us there and two of us went, shotgun, not fucking touching that. And the guy went and got rubber gloves and I went, mate, are you putting that back on the shelf? Anyway, yeah, I was like, fucking get a no, disinfectant no, 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 wipe no, no, and no. wipe that down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, don't... <laughs> the thing is, depending on how dirty his trousers are and how, how long he's got them down there, there comes a point you say, you know what, keep it. I don't think it was down his trousers. <laughs> All right. Genuinely down his underpants. Oh, Jesus. A bit more, you know, tension closer to the... Closer to the leg, shall we say. Yeah. Um, I had a guy who... A colleague who was away in the warehouse and I was going down to my till said, look, keep an eye on that guy. Um, he looks like a wrong one, and he has a bottle of vodka in his hand. And I went, all right, okay. So I, I go to the till, and I can see the bottle of vodka in his right hand. I'm I'm about three yards away from the guy at this point, and by the time I've walked around, the vodka's gone. And I went, how's he done that? It was like dynamo. Um, just gone. I went, mate, where's the vodka? <laughs> and he went, I'm going to pay for it. And I went, <laughs> what do you mean? And he went, I am going to pay for it. And I went, it's just those kids out there, and there were kids out there playing. And he went, I'm not meant to be on the drink and I can't let them see me. And I'm like, well, surely you could just like put it behind a basket or lay it flat and put something taller in front of it instead of wherever you've put in it. And he'd, he'd, he'd put it down his, his trousers. He'd put it down his, um, his trousers. It was in his sock. It sort of kicked off. There was three of us there and 
the first was like the senior manager, the one in the middle was like a lower level manager and I was just a plain old like, you know, customer assistant. And yeah. as you went from like the senior manager down to me, we gradually got less patient with the guy. So the first manager was like, please give us the uh, the bottle of vodka and leave the store. And the second one was a little bit less. She's like, come on, just give us the stuff and leave. And I was like, mate, give me the vodka and fuck off. Just, <laughs> just fuck off now because he, really, he was really annoying me. And he went, who are you fucking talking to? This, from Ab- this guy was from Aberdeen. This is where I was working at this point. And um, I've got a bit of a sort of Glasgow accent, but not really. And he went, you think you're the big man because you're from Glasgow? Where about in Glasgow are you from? I went, well, I'm not really from there, but I lived in government. I'm not sure about what, like where my accent from, what relation it has to you being a shoplifter. And he went, govern! Govern's for the... And used a homophobic slur. And I went, all right, good. So you can leave the shop now for being a homophobe and a shoplifter. <laughs> but he put the bottle of vodka down, and it was down in a sock, and he went, can you... Can you get it for me? <laughs> I love that lurch of tone. <laughs> from, no, I went from sort of like aggressive to pleading. Yeah, but like, can you reach into my trouser leg and get the bottle of vodka for me? Yeah, you've, yeah, that's really not. For a homophobe, you've asked me to do something quite gay. Quite intimate, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, it wasn't it's, even that. It wouldn't have been gay. It wouldn't have been anything to do with intimacy. It would have been, you're touching my leg, now I can fucking hit you. Yeah, yeah. kind of thing and he was saying I'll see you after work and I told him what time I finished and he wasn't there because um, they never are um, but yeah those are the best kind of shoplifters so, I think the uh, best so, one to, uh, sorry uh, the so, best one to finish on I'll finish on yeah. this last shoplifter and then that can be this was this was my oh, yeah, this one was my favourite I, I used to wind her up all the time so this is at the start of COVID. She went, she came in. I was outside. I was the one cleaning the trolleys. <laughs> Sorry, this story makes me laugh so fucking much. And she, I knew she was a shoplifter. She wasn't meant to be in the shop. And she came in. And we were away open in two minutes. And she went, oh, do you open in an hour? And I went, aye. <laughs> <laughs> we opened in two minutes. But I said, no, we opened in an hour. Just, you, you told just so she would go away and come back. You told the shoplifter to come back later. Yeah, but I thought it'd be quite funny if she went home and then came back, even though the shop had been open for an hour. But anyway, she used to she used to steal like she didn't even used to steal like expensive things. Like the thing that's re- the thing that makes me really sad is like when folk try and steal like a yogurt. Like it makes me sad when like you see you get folk trying to steal nappies because they physically cannot afford to pay for them. Yeah, you feel yeah that's tough, I feel really it? bad for them. But and then there's the folk that steal the vodka because they're alcoholics or they're former drug users and they need something to kind of replace that void. But it's the ones that will steal, like, a fucking Greek-layered yoghurt. Yeah. But anyway, she used to just steal. I think she was just a bit of a klepto. She was a, mm. she was a junkie and a bit of a klepto. But she she used to be... They, I don't know why they let her do this, but they used to let her come in if she was with her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Because for some reason, she didn't steal when she was with him. And... <clears throat> It was like, right, he can kind of keep an eye on and hold her hand, <laughs> which is fucking mental to me. But yeah, it was fine. It kind of solved the hassle of having to chuck her out every time she came in, because she came in about three times a day and we didn't have the time for it. Um, But one of the managers hadn't been told this, and it sort of kicked off, where he was like, no, get out, you're banned. Um, leave the stone, he went. <laughs> the guy went, but she doesn't steal when she's with me. Right? Which is a very funny sentence. And... <laughs> As he said this, I was watching her steal, right? <laughs> he said, she doesn't steal when she's with me, and I'm watching her put packets of sweets in our jacket. 
So I know I'm not meant to do this, but I went to the front, I uh, went through the exit door and ran around. And just as she was coming out the uh, the, the front door, I said, look, give me the sweets back. Um, and she went, oh no, I was going to pay for them. And I went, where? Where were you going to pay for these? <laughs> because you've walked the opposite direction of the checkout. She went, oh yeah, yeah, I realise that now. And I went, back off, you know, just leave. But she, that, she then came in like three days later after that and it was at this point it was like look she's not allowed in the store under any circumstances i was like good you finally grown some balls and said you can't come in so she comes in uh, <laughs> but she she used to have dark hair this time she has blonde hair <laughs> right and i know oh, she's uh she's she's dyed her hair um and she had her nose on the edge of the freezers and she was just moving her nose along the freezers looking at what was in them like a spaniel just like just dragging her nose which is disgusting but from one item to the next thing she was just moving her entire face across the freezer doors and i go up to her and as i say to her look i know y- you've changed your appearance obviously but you're still you're still banned you're not allowed to be in the shop and she looks up and she hasn't dyed her hair she's wearing a blonde party wig <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of falls off, and I can I can see like her her dark hair. I can see the her black hair, and she she affects what I can only describe as the most offensive Eastern European Borat accent I have ever heard. And she goes, "No, no, no! You have the wrong person." And I went, oh. "I'm trying so hard not to laugh at this woman's face." So she's put on a party wig as a disguise and affected this Eastern European accent. I went, I cannot, I physically cannot deal with this. And I shouted on the security guard and said, please pat her out. And I went into the warehouse and was crying with laughter. And I was, I was so impressed that she'd had the, the, the goal to fucking put on a party wig and an accent and try and just so she could try and steal. Yeah. She was my favourite. I had a soft spot for her, but that would probably be that uh, you get you get all sorts of like daft requests and people you know kicking off. But those are my favourite ones, the shoplifters that they just they just make you laugh. Um, the, the, this is a question of supermarket etiquette, which occurred to me. This is something that grinds my gears, and I wondered as someone who's who's like you know managed a store and you know worked there and kind of uh, sees this from a you know from a you know professional standpoint. a business perspective. Yeah. yeah, from a business perspective, what do you think of people who eat what? in their basket before they've taken it to the till to buy so it. This is actually a public service announcement. That is considered theft. Under my company's policy, I'm not sure how it works for everyone, but for us it's considered theft. You've not bought the thing, you don't own that thing and you're now eating it. Because I mean I've heard it's the disgusting argument. it's clatty and it, do you know what? I've I will I will walk around the shop thousands of times and someone will pick something up at like the sandwich fridge at the front of the shop and then I'll find it in, you know, like the empty the hip- sandwich container in the bottom yeah, of another I'll find an, pa- uh, uh, aisle somewhere else. I'll find it in like the health and beauty section. I'll find it in a box of sun cream. Um, and that is definitely shoplifting. You've eaten that and dumped it and you've not paid for it. So I think as a general policy, most supermarkets say, please pay for that. If it's like a, if it's like the weather we're having now and it's 25 degrees and you open your bottle of juice and I can see you put it back in your, back in your basket, I sort of understand it. It's, it is still theft. Yeah, I, I, I just it, it just annoys me. It just feel, it just feels very ignorant and rude to do that. And then you sort of, I've heard the argument in favour is well, I'm going to buy it, and you know, and they and they scan the empty sandwich or the half, you know, the half eaten sandwich, you know, pack it through and and pay at the end. And I just, just I don't like it. Does it's it's for me? It's on a par with dropping your kids off at school in your pajamas. I don't like it. What? What's wrong with that? <laughs> no, I'm I'm not. 
<laughs> we've got to maintain some standards in society. I, I get what you're saying, but what if you're in a rush? Like, say you miss your alarm, or one of the kids is having a pure kickoff, and they've, you know, you've woken I, up to them having look, a kickoff, and you've not had a chance to change. You know, I, I, I appreciate that. It's just when, when it's, 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 it's evidently not that for a lot of them. Evidently, it's them just wanted to not bother getting changed before they get get back on the sofa with a cuppa and watch, fucking. Well, it would be used to be Phil and Holly, but it won't be now. Oh, um, <laughs> nonce, allegedly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there is no, very little controversy about the etiquette of that famous video of the French woman who did a poo in the uh, in, in the supermarket. Aisle. Oh, I've I have cleaned up an actual human shit in yeah. my time. Yeah, it's not. It's and you know what? It's not nice because that well, that woman seemed she, like she, she was I mean, doing look, a lot of purpose. She was a cow. She was horrible. But the I mean, ones and, I've unless up, I mean, unless she suddenly, you know, because you don't know what's going through someone's mind. You might have. She might have been like. She might have some sort of condition where she goes, look, if I don't do something right now, I'm going to, you know, rupture something and and, and, and and shit myself. And this is the only thing I can do. But she really, she sort of turned around, looked around, did a, like a ninja shit, she, pulled yeah, her pants squats, up and left. She squats and like, she's physically, she seems like she's fine. She's just like, it, ah, it, it, lo- it, look, it looked for all the world like she was doing it for a bet. Yeah. And I mean, also, the, I'm, I don't want to get into like the kind of specifics of the jobby, but that... <laughs> <laughs> the specifics of the jobby. That jobby that she did didn't look like she was like she had a stomach upset. Do you know what I mean? That was yeah. a healthy jobby. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's how I know she's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, she could yeah. have she could have held that a few minutes longer and gone to like the, a actual public toilet, or whatever. Yeah. So I've got two two poo stories. So. I don't want to get into the one that I actually had to clean up because it was an elderly person who obviously just lost control and it was a shame for that person. Fucking disgusting for me and I was very unhappy at the time to be cleaning an actual human shit the day the cleaner wasn't in. Yeah. But, like, and that was just kind of sod's law. But my favourite poo in a supermarket story was in my old store, the famous one. Um, and this guy, this guy was, I think he entered the store clutching his trousers already and right. waddling and the way that so he's, the already, he's is, already in trouble i'm touching cloth milady <laughs> so he's, and he's like he's fucked right he's absolutely fucked it and he's trying to waddle down to through the tills to get to the, the customer toilets it's when and, you need, that's when you need to shit so badly you can't stand up straight right, right so and then a little bit falls out of his trouser leg <laughs> And it's not even a little, it's quite a lot. And I thankfully didn't have to clean this. Two colleagues had to clean it. So, but the best thing about the story is that the guy manages to get to the bathroom, clean up, clean himself up as best as he can, given the fact that there's probably an enormous jobby streak going down his entire trouser <laughs> leg. But he comes out, puts his arm around the guy cleaning it and goes, sorry, mate, that was me. Like, like there's a bit of pride to the jobby. <laughs> like... There was no pride to be taken there, um, no, but yeah, weird. happens more than you think. Um, I, I have several poo-related stories, and we might as well do them now. Um, a couple of them are, shall we say, stories that I sort of personally witnessed, and that there's a couple of others that I sort of uh, heard or, or have read that I'd like to kind of do, and I'm, I'm trying to work out what order to do this. So I don't, I don't want to peek too early. The first one is I. I've, I've had to clean up a human poo as well. When I worked in a shop a long time ago, it was an off-license, so it was obviously a target for, you know, drinkers and, and, and homeless people buying their kind of cans of super strong lager. You, you, you got to know some of them. Uh, there were some people you sort of felt quite sorry for and you think, you know, I really kind of feel bad for them. Um, and one time this guy came in, he was clearly homeless because he 
he, you know, he was in very rough clothes, hadn't like cut, you know, trimmed his beard or, you know, he looked really kind of really quite in, in bad shape, to be honest. And my manager just said, look, we need to keep an eye on him because, you know, he might, he might be here to steal. So I had to watch him very closely. And he was, sh he was shuffling around, sort of talking half to me, half to himself. And then he clearly shit himself and he didn't look like he knew that he'd done it, which is quite sad oh. because what happened was this, as you say, jobby, as you would call it, north of the border, just rolled slowly and sadly oh. out of his trouser leg and just onto the floor. And my, mm. man, my manager just said, he said, look, what, what do I do? So he said, look, mate, what do you need? And he said, look, I've got this much. And he said, you can have that. And kind of ushered him out the shop just to get him out of there. And I had to go and get the mop and bucket. Um, now, this is this is less poo and more about smell. But have I ever told you about the fart train from Twickenham? <laughs> no, you haven't. The, so okay. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. That is my Labrador hitting his paw off the couch. Yeah, that, Sorry. I thought that's what it was. <laughs> so the, the Twickenham fart train. So I, I like to watch a rugby game and my wife got me for probably my probably my birthday, thinking about the timings of all this, uh, tickets to a match. And she said it was at Twickenham, but I mean, it wasn't actually at Twickenham. It was at Harlequins, who are a London-based rugby club who happened to be based in Twickenham and their stadium is much smaller and it's about the size of your average, you know, because rugby doesn't have big crowds or anything. It's it's a minority sport, basically, um, down in the Twickenham area. But it's not far from the main Twickenham stadium. So we're going into the stadium. Oh, this is fun. And I'll be pointing out to my wife. She, you know, she came with me. You see that massive stadium that looks like Wembley, but not. That's Twickenham. That's where they play the big rugby matches. This is like a local club game, and it was. That's where you should have got me tickets. No, 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 no. This was this was this was Harlequins versus Exeter Chiefs. This was actually the game I wanted to see. And it was all fine. What we didn't know, and look, neither of us would have paid attention to any of this, uh, was that in Twickenham, the actual, you know, the national, the England National Rugby Stadium, on the same day, same time, there was a match going on there as well, and it's the Army Navy game. And this is a traditional match between the, you know, the best fifteen players from each of those two services, and the Army play each other. You know, Army and Navy play a game, and it's it's about five percent about the actual game on the pitch and 95% uh, meeting up with, you know, people from your regiment or your ship or whatever, whatever they call it in, in, in the Royal Navy and getting pissed up. And what it meant was that although the match we went to see had a crowd of about 5,000 and it should have been like a fairly quiet train back to, you know, the mainland and terminal to then, and then to go home, we actually had to share whatever train services they'd bothered to put on that day with 70,000 pissed up Army and Navy people. Oh, fantastic. And the trains weren't running properly. And it was a really hot sure? day. And the windows wouldn't open and there was no air conditioning. And some fucking dirty bastard on this train, where we're all crammed in fucking nose to nose, right? There is no air in this carriage. And what air is remaining air is left in this carriage is being filled by the dirty fucking beer farts of some horrible <laughs> bastard, right? And the train is 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 at a standstill. It's going about ten yards and then stopping about ten yards. And people are like gagging. It's like this guy's farts are industrial strength. And we're all going, oh, this smell is fucking horrendous. And whoever it is, it's obviously skilled enough to make sure these farts are silent. 
And he hasn't just done one fart because it's just it's an on it's an ongoing fucking onslaught of, of vile smell just filling this train carriage. And I just think, you fucking prick, you're silent, you're deliberately silent farting here. Uh, you know, not even bothering to try and hold it. You've got enough control to to actually not make a pop sound when you're doing it, but not enough control to not actually inflict this on it. You fucking prick. And I started looking around and going, who looks smug? Who looks pleased with themselves? Several of them. God, that doesn't narrow it down. I'm looking around and it's like, can I see someone kind of just like shifting the weight on their feet? Like they're just trying to ease one out. And I was basically Hercule, the Hercule Poirot of farts, right? On this fucking carriage, <laughs> trying to see who's doing it. And then what would happen was the train would stop and the doors would open and we'd all just try and get a, get a gulp of fucking, you know, non-fart-filled air. And then the, the doors would shut and we would crawl. And this train that would normally take you back to Waterloo Station in about 30 minutes took a fucking hour and 10 minutes. And it was an hour and 10 minutes of breathing this cunt's farts. Murder on the Trans Pennine Express. That's right, yeah. It was honestly, it was like, it was like murder on the Orient Express, except the, mur- the, the murder victim was going to be the person who kept farting in my fucking face. And I was, and I was looking around, and I just said, and I just said, right, if I find out who this person is, if they're a fucking Navy serviceman or an army, army, you know, maybe they're fucking tougher than me. I don't know, but I just said, you know, thank you for your service, but I'm throwing you out this window, you. Dirty bastard! And we, we got to Waterloo Station, and the doors open, and we just like, I just need to. This is dirty London air, but it hasn't got that cunt's farts in it. So just let me breathe for a minute. <laughs> Fucking asshole! Uh, so that was the fart train from Twickenham. Um, now, this is one that it's it's not actually a long story, but it, it always made me laugh. It's someone I know through the football told me this story, and just the absent? No. I maybe should I maybe I, you know what I'll do the absinthe one as well because that's quite funny. Um, but th- th- this one is about um, uh, sort of a football mate of mine who went on a stag do, and they're all so drunk on this stag do that they can't really remember who the genuine culprit is of this. And I don't know how people get into this kind of mess. And look, I've been on you know I've been on stag do's and it never got this bad. But some people's stag do's have got this bad. They'd rented some cheap hotel in Dublin so that they could all go and spend all their money on beer. And it was one of these places where you could get six people in a room, right? Cheap and, you know, not particularly comfortable, but does the job. It's a roof over your head so you can go out and get pissed in Dublin. And then one of them obviously had a real, you know, a real, let's just say accident. Because next morning when they woke up, there was poo all over the bathroom. There was poo on the floor. Uh, there were several di- different types of poo on the floor from uh, like what seemed like liquid sort of mess to little what he called rabbit tods just like lined up. Opened the wardrobe and there was poo in the wardrobe. What the fuck? That is horrible. There's <laughs> no idea which fucking maniac has done this and how they've managed, unless more than one of them, because either one person has produced three different like types and consistencies of poo in one night and enough to kind of place it in six places around the room. Or maybe two or three of them uh, are having some sort of poo party. No idea what's going on. Because they wake up the next morning like, oh my God, look at the state of this place. And one one guy, that my, my football mate, is the one who'd actually paid the room and then you oh, collect, collected the fees no. from everyone else so he's put the deposit down in the room he's paid he's got to go down with his card the next morning and explain what's happened right 
And he goes down and he's, he's, he's thinking, how the fuck am I going to... I don't even know how to, like, start this conversation with the woman on reception about the fucking terrible... Hello, the terrible things that we've just done on their property upstairs. She has to go down the very apologetic spot. I'm, I'm really sorry. And it all gets cleaned up. And as he's, he's so embarrassed about it. And as they're leaving at the end, he just says, look, I'm really sorry again. I, I, I really don't know what happened. Uh, this is the bit that killed me. The, the manager of the hotel says, oh... Don't worry, you just should have seen the state of the place last week. Oh, no. And I can't even imagine what the state of the place must have been last week. But it was the way the guy was just so blasé about it, like, this is what happens. It's a, it's a hotel, it's a hotel for stag dudes. This is what this is what we get. Oh, no. But it's the, it's the bit that always kills me, is you should have seen the state of the place last week. Fuck what yeah, was, what was that like? The other I even, yeah, what can you imagine? All right, I'll do the absinthe story. So this is a... Friend of mine, he's uh, he's married to another very good friend of mine. This is a and, legendary story, by the way. And he he's a very respectable man in a very respectable profession. Um, so I, I won't give any more details. Uh, but before he became a very respectable man in a very respectable profession, uh, he was telling me how he, you know, it's Martin look, Lewis. <laughs> so, so look, 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 we we come from a part of the world in the northeast of England where it's. I think it's fair to say there's a bit of a drinking culture, isn't there? And, yeah, yeah. And you live in Glasgow, and I think you'd agree that even even by the standards of some of the other places that are legendary, the northeast of England's got a drinking culture. I would say the drinking cultures are quite different. I couldn't even quite put my finger on it, but. The drinking culture in the northeast it is just to absolutely do as much damage to yourself. It's it's, as possible. it's, it's like a race. And yeah, I remember when I when I remember the same when I was a kid when I was eighteen, it would be like, right, you're allowed out now, right? You've got to eat you've got to eat your dinner before you eat your tea before you go, right? And yeah. then pub shut at eleven, so you get back out and you would eat your dinner at six, like and eat it as quickly as you can so that by about you'd work out where the nearest pub was, right? You'd actually plan your route so that you wouldn't look you know, no one goes, Oh, let's stroll through town. You know, Durham's a nice town. We'll stroll through and and go to the other end. Look at you know, look across the bridge. And then we'll go to pub. No, it's all right. That pub there, right? Fucking outside Bimby's chip shop. It's the nearest pub. We'll just fucking hit that. It's 10 minutes walk straight in, right? And then we would just drink as much as we could before closing time. And it's it's like a fucking race. And it's, I remember this American comedian saying, you, you drink like you think someone's about to take it away from you. So anyway, th- this is how someone who, you know, has aspirations to be in a, you know, sort of a, you know, a respectable profession and everything, you know, has been out on the piss a lot with his mates and just might have got into some bad habits. I don't think you'd call it a drinking problem. It's just like, it's just the habit of when you go out for a drink, it's it's hard to just have a quiet one because you've always gone out and fucking got, got battered, you know? But anyway, he's talking to me about how he's just trying to cut down all that sort of thing. And he said, uh, and I definitely don't drink absinthe anymore. So, I mean, I've never even had absinthe. I've just heard the stories and I just think, fucking hell. I mean, this yeah, is what... This nasty is Nasty stuff. Seem to be part of the culture in like fin de siècle of Paris at the fucking Moulin Rouge and all that sort of thing. It's almost legendary for just being, you know, only people who really want to get absolutely fucked up go near this stuff. Anyway, yeah. I, and he goes, I don't drink absinthe anymore. And I went, all right. And he goes, now I'm going to tell you why I don't drink absinthe anymore. And I went, oh shit. All right, that this sounds serious. <laughs> and he said, <clears throat> the previous night, I had obviously, you know, had a few drinks and then I opened a bottle of absinthe and I had some absinthe. And I don't remember anything after that. I don't remember anything after opening a bottle of absinthe and having one drink. I don't even know what size. I'm, I'm assuming it's about the size of a shot glass. That's how much absinthe you drink at a time. So imagine it's that. So he'd had one drink of absinthe and does not remember anything until the next morning. 
he realizes he must something untoward might must have happened because when he woke up the next morning he'd shat the bed <laughs> and i i know a surprising number of people who have shat the bed after a drink <laughs> i just don't get it myself but anyway um he said okay well, this is bad and he shared he basically was sharing a house with like three or four of the people at the time, the way you do when you're in London and you're younger and you're trying to keep, you know, cost of rent down. I'm, look, not just London, I'm, you know, loads of places. You you know, you share a place because it's sociable and it's cheaper. And he gets up and he goes around to, to speak to his housemates and say, look, I guess something happened last night. I remember I had some absinthe and can you can you fill in the blanks? Can you tell me what happened? And they went, yeah, we'll tell you what happened. In that With, with that expression on the face, says, yes, <laughs> yeah, we'd like to tell you exactly what fucking happened, actually. And he said, so we, it was reasonably quiet to begin with. We were having drinks. We sat around the table. You were drinking absinthe. We were drinking other things. Um, and you decided you were going to put some food on. And we said, no, thanks. We're not hungry. We've already eaten. But you insisted on putting some food on. Okay. You put some pizzas on in the oven. Uh, put them on. A little bell dinged to say that they were ready, or the you know the time came, or they and maybe they'd started to burn. But whatever whatever reason it was, he knew it was time to take the pizzas out of the oven. So he turned off the oven, opened it up, took the pizzas out, growled, and threw the pizzas on the floor. <laughs> there was a pause, and he looked around and went, "Oh, look at that mess on the floor! I'd better go and clean that up." So one of his housemates says, "Oh, so I went to get the mop out of the uh, out of the uh, the cupboard because I figured you need the mop to tidy up the mess that you've just said that you want to tidy up and I handed you a mop and you snarled at me and snapped the mop over your knee and threw the pieces in the floor and there was another pause he says uh, and I looked around and there was a broken mop on the floor mop handle on the floor and says well how did that get there and his housemate says you just threw it on the floor and he says, I did not throw that mop on the floor. You're libeling me. I'm going to sue you. And I proceeded to call up my lawyer and tell my lawyer that I was going to be suing my housemate for slander or libel or whatever he was going to say he was going to sue him for. Now, bearing in mind, this was 2.30 in the morning and I don't have a lawyer, so I have no idea who I was speaking to <laughs> on the telephone. <laughs> and then I went to sleep and shat the bed. And that's why I don't drink absinthe anymore, is the story that my mate told. And so that, that is why I'd not tried absinthe before I heard that story and I'm definitely not trying it now. <laughs> so we built, we, we built up to this. This is, this is a story. This isn't a personal anecdote of mine. This is something I read. Because for the, for the podcast, I just thought... Why don't I look up some fun stories as well to see if we can chuck them in? And this feels like um, like a good place to put it. Have you heard of uh, Andre the Giant? Yes. I think I he, know where the story is going. So he's a legendary uh, wrestler from the ni- 1980s sort of Hulk Hogan days. Yes. Um, I think he's dead now. He died at the age of about 46, I think partly to do with his kind of uh, size, s- yeah. size, size and everything. And... He he had that look about him that you know when you see the story of the world's tallest people and they have that kind of quite prominent jaw where they they're so big it, it's actually a bit of a condition. He was that tall and he was physically massive because obviously he's a wrestler. Uh, he's most famous for having uh, uh, I guess acted in the film The Princess Bride. So anybody want a peanut? Yeah. So the story about Andre the Giant was that whenever he was taking a flight on an aeroplane. He would make a point of having a poo at home or at the airport. Um, and that would be him for a couple of days. Because the one thing he really didn't want to do was to try, have to have a poo on the plane. Uh, 
And bear in mind, this guy was massive. He was about seven foot four and he could eat 20 pounds of food at a sitting. So, at a sitting? Yeah. And you imagine he eats three meals a day. Oh my God. And then 24 hours after having those meals, he's going he's gonna to do a poo. And bear in mind, your body breaks down a lot of it. It's, it's part water and everything else. But we're talking about a man who produces sizable poos. Okay? And the, the, the write-up that this gets just t- tells you all the story you need to know. That um, wrestling legend and man mountain Andre the Giant left plane passengers gagging, puking, and crying. <laughs> and applying applying masks over their faces after taking the, quote, world's biggest poo mid-flight. <laughs> the, the late wrestler and ex-WWF champion turned a 14-hour uh, 747 trip from Tokyo to the US into a long-haul shite, is a little um, pun that the journalist has produced. Um, as you say, he normally used the bathroom before boarding or even before going to the airport, so he'd be good for a day or two. He would do enough of a poo that he wouldn't need to go again for like two days. So I, I dread to think the size of these things. However, tragically for his fellow passengers, the seven-foot-four-inch Frenchman had to rush to his seat this time due to a delay. So Andre the Giant has no time uh, to get to the toilet before he boards the plane. (laughs) So Brutus Beefcake, what a beautiful name, a fellow wrestler, was on the ill-fated flight and admitted that he couldn't breathe and other passengers screamed as the smell filled the cabin. (laughs) <laughs> screamed the form you... the form the form that the other wrestler Brutus told uh, gave an interview about how Andre gave as good a performance on the porcelain as he did in the ring saying he produced sounds that were not human <laughs> followed by a smell that completely filled the 76 meter long plane he says I've never heard anything like the sounds that are coming out of this toilet <laughs> And then people started falling out of their seats in the DRs, reaching for six sick bags, gagging, puking, crying, screaming, and falling on the floor laughing. He says, I couldn't breathe. He must have half filled up a garbage bag full of shit. Oh, no. Bear in mind that Andre the Giant was able to drink uh, 108 cans of beer in just 45 minutes. You know, the small cans. Jesus Christ. And the, the way they end this story just makes me makes me laugh as well. It's according to fellow wrestling legend Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant's farts, arguably the appetizer of what he pulled off and pushed out when airborne, were just as bad. Um, and under, uh, Hulk Hogan says, I've been in different dressing rooms, like, like a hockey dress. It, the design is like a hossing, hockey dressing room where everyone's sitting on a long wooden bench and you could put 20 people sitting on the bench. And if Andre was sitting at one end on the bench and farted, the whole bench would rumble all the way down to the end and vibrate the guy on the end of the bench. <laughs> and, and Hogan finishes the story with, he used to think that was quite funny. His, <laughs> his placement was very deliberate. <laughs> Could you imagine if that poo had made it out of the plane and like hurtled towards the earth? That, I it, mean, would have, it would have looked like Nagasaki. It would have definitely killed someone if it landed on them. Oh, so so th- those those I've got them all out of the way. Those are my poo stories. I do apologise yeah. to anyone. I can't who's wait squeamish. for next pod's episode. Where we're going to try and take a political hot take. And we've just spent forty two minutes talking, talking about, about poo. Jobby, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, that was that was me and poo. You got any others? 
Uh, any poo stories? No, no, any other stories you want to make? Oh, any me? other stories? Yeah. Uh, yeah, plenty. Do you remember the time we were in an airport and it was about five in the morning and we were at the check-in desk and I looked behind me and I go, oh, Dad, look, it's Rob Brydon. And I looked around, oh, look, where's Rob Brydon? And I was like, yeah, Rob, we both like Rob Brydon, we find him very funny. Um, and then I looked back again and I went, oh, never mind, it's just Anton Debeck. <laughs> yeah. The best bit of that is he definitely heard you. Ah, oh, fucking, he's shit at dancing anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I've, I've quite, I have a celebrity story. I've, uh, you must have heard the story about how the the night I met Brian May and they got locked out of the flat. No, I thought you met him in Hamleys, Harrods, Hamleys. Uh, yeah, I did. Oh, it, but the two things happened on one night. I met Brian May and they got locked out of the flat. I didn't know about the second bit. So. We'd literally just moved into this place on, well, actually, had we? No, we hadn't, we hadn't just moved into it, thinking about it. Um, but you, you've not long been born. It was your first Christmas. And this is before you could buy things on the internet. So, you know, I was actually going into shops to buy things and said, oh, I'll go to Hamleys and see if he's got anything. But Hamleys is not exactly value for money. But it's, you know, it's nice to get something from Hamleys for your first Christmas. You know, it's sort of, um, the, uh, uh, the uh, you know just make a bit of an occasion of it so I'm walking around Hamleys you know it's, and instead of just being full of the usual kind of foreign tourists Brian May is walking around presumably doing his own shopping list looking exactly like you'd expect Brian May to look he had his little spangly um, waistcoat on and he was wearing clogs all sort of he, he could he, he could he could he'd have, he could have gone from Hamleys onto stage to play guitar that's what he looked yeah. like and he was sort of, sort of, sort of muttering softly to himself, like, "Oh, where is it?" And just honestly, he couldn't be more like you expect Brian May to be. And I just thought, you know, I like I've seen a fair few famous people in London. Like the first time I ever arrived in London, Hugh Laurie jogged past me on my street, and I'd literally been in London an hour, and I'd seen Hugh Laurie walking past, and I just thought, oh, "Wow, there must be celebrities everywhere. This must be like Stella Street, where there's a famous person." It was going to be like one of those American sitcoms where you find out that the person who lives in the in the flat next door is famous, um, but it wasn't. But I've seen, you know, famous. I've seen, you know, Michael Caine at the airport. I've seen different people like that. And normally, I just I'm I'm not really one to run up and ask for a photo, but I'm a big fan of Queen growing up. So I thought, I'm going to go and speak to Brian May, and I want to say hello, and say, thank you, you know, I loved your music, you know, growing up, it's been a big thing for me, I'm just saying, say thank you and everything, and he said, and a Merry Christmas, he said, oh, that's great, lovely, thank you, and shook my hand and wished me a Merry Christmas, it was, it was lovely, that was it. Um, I like to think that that's the kind of interaction with fans that a famous person would want, yeah, it's like, I think you're great, kind of shake your hand and then be off, right? And I was kind of, you know... Feeling quite, oh, that was nice. I've just, I've just bought, you know, a, a little Christmas present for my son's first Christmas. I've just become a father for the first time. This is, and I've just met one of my musical heroes. What a nice evening. And your mum had taken you up to Scotland to see some relatives. And I was finishing, uh, 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 finishing up at work before I went up. So I'm in the flat on my own. Yeah. And I've I've got back after you know I've 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 done work I've done Hamleys I'm I'm getting home later than I normally would and I'm just pottering about the flat trying to get a few things done, and because it's a flat the shoot for the bins is outside and somehow bloody idiot I somehow managed to walk out, and uh, go to drop a, a rubbish bag down the chute and let the door shut inside me and I haven't taken my keys with me and I've just fucking locked myself out of my flat. Fantastic. 
So the first half of my night was fucking brilliant. I buy a present for my baby boy and I meet Brian May. And then the rest of the night wasn't very good. Fortunately, I had uh, a phone with me or I could get to a phone. I think I'm thinking about it. This is this is. This is before I had a, a, a. This is before I had a mobile, so I must have gone to a payphone or something. And the thing was that the 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 flat is rented from like a an estate agent or a letting agency, and they've got a number for like if you've got a problem out of hours, someone could come and let you back in. Was the idea? Yeah. So I phone, and it's not working. And what the hell is going on? And I'm phoning back and I'm phoning back and leaving increasingly angry messages, going, "I'm locked out of my flat. Where the hell are you?" Um, and you know, because you, they don't, they only give you one key. You can't give a key to a neighbor. Do you know what I mean? So this is the person you're depending on. If you get locked out, I know it's my fault. I locked myself out of the flat and everything, but I'm thinking, what if my kid was locked in the flat and no one's answering the emergency call? And I just think, shit, what do I do? So I went and phoned my, my manager. I was still working in the shop at the time. I went and phoned my manager and said, look, this is what's happened. He said, oh, look, just sleep on the floor and sort it out in the morning. And uh, when I later spoke to the letting agency, the guy was very apologetic. It turned out that they'd uh, they just had their Christmas party that night and they'd, they'd forgotten to switch on the phone number. So it, it, what would happen is you're meant to call the estate agent and it would immediately kind of like bounce over to the out-of-hours people. Right. And they'd forgotten to push push the switch that made that happen. So the phone was just ringing out and no one was answering um, because they'd all gone to their fucking Christmas party and forgotten to do it. That, that was why I was stuck and able to sleep anyway. So my manager, good man, Brian, he uh, very kindly said, yeah, you can sleep on my floor and in the morning you can go around to the letting agent and get your spare key. Brilliant. So I went back and I was sleeping on the floor uh, with a blanket and a pillow. And that's fine. You know, it's a, you know I, I don't mind sleeping on the carpet for one night. It's better than, you know, better than being out in the cold, better than sleeping in the, in the fucking corridor of my block of flats in December, right? Uh, unfortunately, Brian, my manager, had just gotten himself a cat who was still a kitten who had decided that me under a blanket on the floor in the in the living room was the world's biggest cat toy. So all night, instead of getting some sleep, I was just getting like cat attacks from all different angles going bang, 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 bang. Because I was lying there in the living room and his cat, I think his name was Jonathan. Who calls a cat Jonathan, by the way? But this little cat had just decided that I was to be battered and attacked from all different angles. And this... The cat stayed up all night, and it's like, oh, I'll go for his head. I'll go for his feet. I'll try and get under the, I'll burrow under the blanket and try and get him under the blanket. All night, this little kitten sort of tormented me, and I got up the next day, and I had not a fucking minute's sleep. So I had a good night followed by a bad night when I met Brian May and then got locked out of my flat. What a day. What a day. What exactly? I've got a couple of celebrity stories. A couple of them are quite funny. There's... Um, there's the, the, uh, there was the one where we were we'd just come back we'd, we'd been to a Sunderland game I think it was when Leicester the, the season before they won the title went on that incredible run to stay up under Nigel Pearson then he got sacked yes, because yes. His, his son was filming himself in a racist orgy in Thailand that's right um, but it, it was a bit of a drab game Leicester only needed a draw to stay up so it was a nil-nil and then I think we stayed up in the next game um, it was a pretty dire, dire set that was the season we got about 20 draws but we're in Newcastle Central, and you spotted a Sunderland player. Now, for me, that would be pretty cool. Oh, cool! Yeah, like so. Even though we were pretty shit at the time, 
still are, but I'd, not, I'd rather... Get, not as shit as we were going to be. I'd rather get photos with like the players that we have now who are actually trying for the club and actually have a bit of ability about them compared yeah. to the donkeys we employed back then. Yeah. But there were still a couple of players, like Defoe. I would have loved to have got a photo of Defoe. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't Jermaine Defoe. I would love to have got a photo with, I think, Barini. I would love to have got a photo of Barini. Yeah. I, like, I was like, Barini, I thought he tried hard. Um, he had a sort of a, was, an energy about him, didn't he? Yeah, he was, it was that Italian passione, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Van Anholt always thought was a good player for the club. It was none of these people. It was uh, it was Connor Wickham, <laughs> L- looking like he was about to appear in a Hack at One Hundred video. Gen- yeah, genuinely looked like he was. like trousers that finished above the ankle. Season wasn't even finished yet, and he looked like he was on his way to Ibiza. That's basically, exactly that's the, the yeah. vibe I got because he was always fucking injured. Yeah. And, and the, reason, thought, the reason he was injured was he used to go to the gym and, and like work on the muscles that are only for show rather than work on the muscles that rather are for Rather than rehab his fucking broken yeah. ankles. Yeah. yeah. So usually I'd be like, yeah, oh yeah, let's go get a photo. Because I remember I got I met Jack Cole back on yeah, a this, train. This, was, was, at, this was at Newcastle Station, wasn't it? Yeah, and I thought, uh, no, you know what? You're all right. I can't be fucked getting a signature or a photo or even a chat with you. I, I don't know. I'm sure he's a, like, a nice guy, but for Sunderland, he, other than the time he kept us up, when he actually decided to become a footballer. The rest of his career at Sunderland was absolutely terrible. Um, I met Jack Colback on a train. He was, this is a shame, right? Because Jack Colback is, pro- I don't know about any more, but at the time for about five years, we as a fan base hated Jack Colback because he left Sunderland on a free to go sign for um, his boyhood club, Newcastle. Yeah, and the but, thing is, just signing for Newcastle is one thing, but you can't just sign for Newcastle, can you? You have to take part in this fucking loyalty pantomime. You know, like when Donald Trump used to hold meetings and everyone had to go around the table and say how great he was. They have to. You can't just say, oh, you know, I've, I'm very fond of Sunderland, but, you know, this is a great opportunity and, I've, you know, I am a boyhood Newcastle fan, so I couldn't pass up this year to go and play for my for this club but I'll always look fondly it always like oh I'm at a big club now and it's always it gets turned into this fucking yeah. panto obviously there's a bit of like fan bitterness on our side and that's kind of natural but yeah whatever the, sh- the thing is it was we were going down to see you on the train it was my 17th birthday and yeah. we're very excited to come down and we um, I saw Jack Colback on the train he's obviously got on at Newcastle we'd uh, got on at Aberdeen yeah. and I thought oh it's Jack Colback and he was walking his daughter and I thought ah oh, like he was walking his daughter up and down the train just because she was just like to, just maybe to keep, one. Just to keep her yeah. entertained until it's time to go on the journey. So I thought, do I go and say hi for a photo? And I thought, you know what? No, and I wasn't even for a photo. I didn't even care. Just I, to I, say this, hello. I just wanted to say hi. I, because of me being a son of the fan and living in Scotland, I've not really had the problem. Maybe the same engagement that fans from Sunderland might have like yeah, you know yeah. that ability to like see them at the training ground or go to open training sessions or stand outside the stadium like because I've, I've only been to the stadium like I'd probably say about 30 times yeah in my entire life just because of pure I lived just lived in the south of England geog- and then the north of Scotland yeah so ge- geography got in the way right um uh, I thought right I'll go see and I said hi Jack shake his hand I went no no I'm a Sunderland fan um just lovely to meet you uh, oh you know good luck for this in here bearing in mind we hadn't won a game this season um, and we were at, oh no, had we? No, we hadn't won a game. We just sacked De Canio. Yeah. We've been absolutely terrible. We had one point all season. Um, and I said, you know, keep up the good work, right? I didn't even think about the way I'd said that, but he was very nice. He was very pleasant, very quiet mm-hmm. guy. But, um, and he just said, oh, you know, th- you know, thank you very much kind of thing for the nice interaction. And then about an hour later, um, 
I don't know how. I think the the waitress that was serving us, I think my mum had said, oh, it's his birthday, we're going down to visit his dad. She went, um, oh, that's great. Um, and then we got to the topic of me being a Sunderland fan, and then she went, oh, you know Jack Kowak's on the train? I went, yeah, 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 I saw him, he's, you know, he's a nice guy. And then about 10 minutes later, she comes up and he signed a bit of like paper for me, just oh, saying, happy nice. birthday, Jack Kowak. Uh, sign from Jack. I'm like, oh, what a sign, cunt. And then we got off the train and we, we were, by chance, you remember this, we were all walking through the exit at the same yeah. time. And he said, happy birthday to me in person. His missus said, happy birthday to me. And then he said, hello to you. Yeah. And it was just such a shame that five months later, he went, or six months later, he went and joined fucking um, Newcastle. Because everyone, and you know what, I, I didn't like him either. Yeah, but it's play, like, players sign for other clubs. You know, yeah. our, our, our most beloved manager has a statue outside the the ground was a was from Newcastle yeah. and had played for him, played for him. because yeah, my- you, you think about it if you you can you can if you if you're playing for Sunderland you're not necessarily going to play there forever and if you can go and sign for another club that's as big you know or, or bigger and you don't have to move house you would wouldn't you but that's not how the fans feel about it you know so from white from one interaction with a Sunderland um, player to a manager no. Now, this is a good story. I met David Moyes. Ah, yes. And, again, travelling down to London, and I thought, where did I just phone into? I think I'd just phone into, Sta- I'd just phone into Stansted. I was getting the train into London to then get the tube That's to come it. out and yeah, see it was you. Stansted, yeah. And I get on the train and literally sat in the, like, the seats across from me, not at a table, but, like, on if I'm on the left-hand side of the train, he's on the right-hand side in the seats next to me. It's David Moyes. And I thought, Oh, David Moyes just been sacked by Real Sociedad. And you said to him, ask him what his next club's going to be so we could put a bet on it. So I went, oh, you're right, David. And he, he Yeah, we're, we're, f- t- we're texting at this point, aren't we? Yeah, I was like, David Moyes is next to me. So, wait a minute, he's been sacked by Newcastle, not Newcastle, Manchester United and Sociedad, and he's on a bit of a, he's on a bit of a whirlwind, as old David Moyes. And he's on the phone, he's actually quite agitated. He's like, oh, for fuck's sake, I fucked it. Uh, you've, you did more than fuck it, mate. You were terrible for associate that. But he wasn't talking about that. What had happened was, what had transpired was, I got to, once he was off the window, David, you know, and he shook his hand. He was a very nice guy. Um, I know he comes across as quite dreary, as we both know very well. But I was like, oh, you're all right, how are you getting on? And he went, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm meant to be flying out to Bilbao. And I went, this is a train away from the airport. This is a train into London city centre. And he went, ah, yeah, I meant to be flying to Bilbao, but the flight's from Gatwick, and I went to Stansted. And I went, <laughs> oh, my fucking God. You're in charge of the biggest fucking football club on the planet that is about probably about to be sold for five and a half billion pounds. And this cunt can't even get onto the right train yeah. to go to the airport. And then you came up with the non-flying Scotsman, which is... <laughs> there's lots of layers to why that's funny. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then... Two months later, he took the Sunderland job and just ripped our club apart, took us down to the championship. And five years later, six years later, we're still there. And <laughs> do you know what's a shame about that is that everyone in Sunderland absolutely despised David Moyes. And I hate what he did to my club. But again, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, and he was only part of the problem. I mean, you know, there was all sorts of nonsense before and after he was there. It was just, his problem was... He didn't it just, help. It was, what it was was that under him... There was this dismal lack of fight about the whole thing, you know? But it did make me think, though, right, that these guys get so much vitriol and so much hate spewed towards them. And David Moyes is just a normal guy. He's just a guy who's in his 60s. He's probably, I think he's a father. He's just a normal guy. And he is hated by Sunderland fans 
I don't think he's liked very well from Manchester United fans, or they probably just think he's out of his depth. Yeah. But yeah, he's had probably so much hatred. And it just made me think, wow, there's a lot of people that are in football and get all sorts of hatred. Yeah, the, emo- the emotional, we don't normally get, in most jobs, you don't get that kind of emotional reaction to when things don't go well. And and it's always like the heaped on the manager, the trouble. You know, it all get, or he gets to finger pointed at him, doesn't he? Um, the celebrity interaction, which is quite funny, but wasn't me. This is again, this is my wife, your stepmom. Um, she was, I think, was this the Hindu or just a night out? Whatever it was, it was it was a girls' night out over in sort of West London way. So it's near Twickenham again. Our friends who live um, in that part of London, which isn't Twickenham, but she, but which is relatively close to it. Like we, we were. We were, we were staying over there for a weekend just hanging out and Eminem was playing Twickenham and we could hear him. That's how close it is to Twickenham, right? Uh, and so they're out at a, a girls' night out at, at, at sort of having drinks at a, a posh hotel that has a nice bar that's open to the public, right? And the three, the three women there, none of them are rugby fans. However, they walk through and there's like, at least 25 blokes where the average height is six foot three, six foot four. They're all giants, right? And obviously, Devika has kind of looked in the room and gone, huh. uh, you know, James is watching rugby again and has, has at least seen a screen on what some of these players feature. She's She's been in the room when I've watched a rugby game, right? And she goes, I think that's the England rugby team. And she recognised one of them, Courtney Laws, because he's six foot seven and has really big tattoos and is quite distinctive looking. So oh, I recognise him. They're definitely in the rugby team. But a lot of them, right, if you didn't follow rugby, you wouldn't necessarily know who they were, right? To preface this, one of them, one of the more normal looking ones, he's only about sort of six foot one only, you know, that's big, you know, big by normal standards, but smaller for a rugby player and doesn't look kind of giant. He's walking along and they didn't know who he was. And, and my wife runs out you know, or, or runs out and 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 grabs. Says, Excuse me, can we have a photo? Can you help? Can we? Can you? Can we take a photo? And they're all drunk by this point. And he's like, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, he's 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 around the Twickenham area. He's kind of used to people kind of asking for a photo. R- rugby players, I think, are sort of situationally famous. They could go to their local supermarket and no one would know who they were. And they go in the vicinity of where they play rugby, and everyone knows who they are, yeah. right? And he goes over, and my wife hands him the camera and puts her arms around her friends. And says, there you go. And he sort of looks really confused and stops and takes a photo. And goes, oh, there you go. Hands the phone back and walks off. Doesn't know whether he's been pranked or just didn't know who he was and just walks off. And the next day, she's back from the girls' night out and she's saying, yeah, I think I asked a photo of, um, uh, uh, of an England international rugby player to take a photo of me and the girls. I went, all oh, right. As he was, she pointed down there and it was Johnny May, an England international with 60 caps. <laughs> And she said, can I have a photo? And he thought, I know someone who did that to Nigel Farage as a deliberate prank, but my missus did that because she genuinely didn't know who he was. That's like the, um, the you heard the Bono Bruce Springsteen story. Yeah, that's off, um, whatchamacallit, off um, Graham Norton, isn't it? That's yeah. a great story. Um, sort of similar thing. Someone goes up to the table and asks. They're, they're, uh, they're having dinner for their birthday. For and the, Bono goes to the toilet and this guy goes up to who he doesn't know is Bruce Springsteen and says, can I... I don't know if it was something like get an autograph. Yeah, basically, or... he thinks it's Bono's manager or something, right? And he says, yeah, I'm a big fan of Bono. I'm having dinner over there. It's it's my birthday. 
I've been a big fan of Bono for years and years. It'd be really great if I could say hello and get a photo. And the guy goes, well, look, it's Bono's night off. I don't know if he's, if he's going to say yes. You know, he's quite private when he's not working. I don't know, but I will ask, okay? And if he says yes, I'll bring you over. And the guy says, oh, thanks very much. And the man comes, uh, Bono comes back. The man's, you can see them talking. Uh, and after a minute, the man turns over to the guy at the table and gives him a little wave to bring him over. He says, oh, fantastic. And he goes over and he says hello. He says he loves, you know, you too and everything. And Bono's very nice. You know, hear, hear things about Bono, but he's good to his fans, right? Uh, sh shook hands, took a photograph, uh, and everyone was happy. And he goes back to the table. And Bono and the other bloke walk out of the restaurant, you know, shortly later. And the, the man gives guy a bit of a nod and, and walks out. And he comes to pay the bill for, for, for his birthday dinner, the you know, regular punter, the Bono fan. And the waiter says, I know your bill's been paid from that table over there. She says, what, Bono paid my paid for my dinner? And the guy says, uh, no, Bruce Springsteen paid for your dinner. Fucking hell, man. So I imagine Bruce Springsteen is famous enough to find it amusing that he didn't get didn't get yeah. recognised. But, but, but he must have gone, he'll recognise me next time. Yeah. <laughs> Any other funny... Anecdotes or stories? I do have, I do have something that I mean I've mentioned before. Uh, it sort of it, it links to a st one of my stories, and to, then to a story about my dad, your granddad. Um, it's the story about how I was once under surveillance by the secret service agents of a foreign power. Oh, I think I've sort of been told. This. Could have sworn I told you the story. I so, think I have been told this. So, my dad was working out in Pakistan in the early nineties, and I was at uni. And for one one summer, I was able to go out and stay there. And while you're there, you go well, see the country. And I think Pakistan, it was starting to get a bit locked down then. The influence of like Saudi ideology had started to kind of overtake things. Uh, but it was still, you know, it's 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 an interesting country with, with, with some beautiful places and some great history. Um, and we went up to... A mate of mine from uni came over because, well, you know, you don't often get a chance to visit a place like that. So he came over and the two of us were going up to um, uh, Peshawar, which is in the northwest of, of, of Pakistan, the northwest frontier. And it's the nearest place to the border with Afghanistan. So you get to go up, you can get taken on a little kind of jeep journey to go and visit, the, see the Khyber Pass, go, you know, Afghanistan's that way. And this is like the early 90s, so it's not long after the war. There's all sorts going on. Like they took us to this kind of essentially illegal market where you could buy a kilo of, of hash for about £40. Pounds. Um, you could buy an AK-47 as, and as much ammunition as you could carry for £50. Pounds. Uh, they tried to sell me a pen gun, a pen that fires a single bullet, saying, oh, don't worry, it's perfectly legal. <laughs> don't, mate, it's not <laughs> perfectly legal. Don't be ridiculous. But anyway, everywhere that we went in the city of Peshawar, there was a car following us around and two men in the car in dark glasses following us around. Now, bearing in mind, I don't want to talk too much about how my dad was working for the government over there, and also bearing in mind where, you know, foreign, obviously foreigners walking around with a guide, but walking around a city that's not, you know, not very international, shall we say. Right. And everywhere we go, these guys are following around like in an unmarked car. And we would stop and look around, and the car would drive off. And everywhere we went, this car was just following around. And we kind of, I don't know for certain that it was, but someone was following me, right? Um, and my dad did say, look, there's a lot of stuff going on here. There were a couple of people there who, who were definitely working in intelligence, who would say they were just attaches to the embassy, but we kind of knew they were working in intelligence. My dad said, you know, assume that, assume the phone is bugged in the house when I was staying there. 
uh, used to joke like when, when we we would go out to the uh, the Holiday Inn in in Islamabad. The restaurant gets blown up in zero dark thirty. We, we've been in there before. It got blown up, obviously. Um, and but they would always take us to exactly the same table. And I used to joke there was a microphone in the vase in the flowers on the table. So every time we sat down, I would lean into the microphone and go. The goose flies south at midnight and just huh. just like take the piss out of it and everything. But I was convinced that I was being followed around by agents of a foreign power, just sort of just keeping an eye on us for whatever reason. It was probably the work experience kid getting practice following people, you know. But what it follows on to is a story about how my dad in the 70s at the height of the Cold War was definitely under surveillance by agents of a foreign power. You probably heard this story, right? Yes. So for the audience... My dad was working for the Foreign Office. Uh, this is in Belgium. He's just a young guy. Uh, he's They called it registry, but it just means you're like a young person in admin. What you do is you, you join one of the government departments like the Foreign Office and you start at the bottom and you work your way up. He was considerably more senior when he retired, right? But he's, he's about 20, 25, 26. He's got a baby son, i.e. me, and he's staying in Belgium uh, working. And... Um, He's, he's noticed he's being watched. Every time they get out to drive to work, there's someone in the corner. Quite frequently, see someone standing there on the, on, on, on the uh, telephone pole, you know, under, underneath the light, looking at him. He's, you know, the, not the specialist training, but you're sort of trained and taught to kind of keep an eye on in case people are following you. And, you know, people in the Foreign Office would be, especially when you went to communist countries at that time, would be under surveillance. Um uh, just just a side note is that someone who worked at the, in uh, in Cuba uh, left the curtains shut one day in their flat, went to work. When they came back, the curtains were open. And someone from the Cuban secret police had gone in to kind of see if they could find anything in, in the house. They looked and go, they've left their curtains shut. What, what, what are going on? And opened the curtains, let some light in. Um, another time, someone who'd you know been sitting at home in the house saying it was time to give up smoking. You know they were going to try and give up smoking. Then they were in a traffic jam trying to get into Havana, Havana at work, and uh, the only place they'd said they were going to give up smoking was in their flat in Havana. And uh, they're in a traffic jam. It's bloody nightmare. It's going to be an hour before or half an hour before they can get into work. Uh, reaches into the glove compartment, lights a cigarette. And then the next person kind of waves at them in the car next to them. And they wind the window down. And the person says, I thought you said you were giving up smoking. So it was quite possible that you could be under surveillance back then, right? Yeah. And what you did if you thought you were under surveillance was to go and report it. So my dad goes to his manager. Bearing in mind, my dad's not fucking Jason Bourne or anything. He's not the fucking head of MI5. Although we met the future head of MI5 when we were there. That's another story. Um, Head of MI5 changed my nappy. That's the story. Um, But anyway... Uh, goes to his boss at the embassy and says, look, I think this is what's happened. I think I'm under surveillance. And, you know, I can only assume that it's either the Soviet Union or one of their allies is is, is watching me. And uh, the guy says, all right, I'll speak to someone, see what happens. And then sometime later, not long afterwards, could be the next day, could be a few days later, uh, he gets called into an office. He doesn't say someone from MI5 is here. He doesn't say Mr. Okay. Such and Such is here. He just said, you, you, you need it in that office. So he goes into that office and he meets a, a very polite, slightly older, very posh gentleman who doesn't introduce himself, doesn't give his name, and doesn't say where he works. He just sits down and he says, uh, I, I've heard about your little problem. 
uh, I've, I've checked into it and said, yes, it's the other side. They've got you under surveillance. And I says, what, really? Why are they watching me? Says, uh, they think you're they think you're one of us. They think you're an MI5 agent. They think you're a you know a British secret agent. And I says, really? He says, yes. So they they got you under surveillance to to see you know to see what you do. And rather naively, sort of not sort of sweet. It's sweet when you look back. My dad says to the guy, well, isn't there some way you can kind of put the word out that I'm not so that they stop watching me? You know, my dad's got a wife and baby at home, right? He doesn't want this shit, you know. And. And, and the the fact is, is that the, the, he's being watched noticeably. Do you know what I mean? He's they're following him in a way that he can be seen. I'm sure that the Russian secret service could have followed him far less conspicuously than that. So there's an, an element of intimidation to this. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're watching you, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the guy says, "I can't do it, old boy." And I says, "What?" He says, "Well, while they're watching you, they're not watching one of my chaps." So it's time they're wasting instead of watching what my agents are actually up to. And also, if we know that they're watching you, we can watch them and see if we can learn something. And I says, oh, thanks, great. So my dad had to put up with it uh, and continue being watched by the Soviets or the East Germans or whoever it was until eventually they got bored, realised that he wasn't doing anything of great interest and left him alone. But he was being watched by the KGB or something like that outside his, outside his flat for a couple of, well, for a while anyway. That's uh, it's a scary story, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite sinister. But yeah, the um, while we were there in Belgium, this is the early 70s, my mum and dad were quite young. They're obviously friends with other people. And my mum tells the story about how it was really weird by then. It was quite hierarchical, is that my mum at that time had been working for the Foreign Office and had to give up work when she had a had a baby. She later went back to work, you know, but it was it's weird back then. It was it's still very sexist and... It wasn't easy for women to keep working. So she had to stay at home. So she's on her own in a flat in a foreign country with a newborn baby, right? And what you normally do when, you, when you're at home with the baby and, you know, your, your partner is working is you, you want to hang out with other mums, right? You want to have that kind of social interaction and that net support network. But back then there was an element of, um, there was a, a senior woman who was enforcing, one of these fucking old bitches, right? Who was enforcing this social hierarchy that said that, wives of junior members of staff could not hang out with wives of senior members of staff. So there's other wives who've just had babies who would love to hang out, um, but they were discouraged and they weren't allowed to talk to my mum because she was she, her husband was too junior. So it was it was it could have been quite isolating, but fortunately my mum struck up a friendship with a woman called Stella, who you know, had been working and planned very much to go back to work. And she wasn't in the same department as my dad, but she was part of the many, you know, they were just sent up the EEC back then. So there's lots of people in, in that part of, um, you know, Belgium at the time. So they were working in a different department with no such ridiculous, like backward social ideas. So they were fine to hang out. And her name was Stella and she was a very nice lady. She had a, a daughter called Kim, who was about my age. And they used to hang out and spend time together. Uh, her surname was Rimington. And when she got older... Stella Rimington became the head of MI MI five, um, and because you know they were you know sharing sort of parental duties, I always like to tell the story that the head of MI five changed my nappy because you know she she probably didn't right, but she she would have said you know she would have probably said goo goo gaga to me when I was little, and but uh, I had a very very sort of limited claim to fame to like uh, the, the future head of MI five when I was a baby. Sure, she was probably used to cleaning up a lot of shit, wasn't she? That's right, yeah. So the stories I was going to finish on are a lot less, in, well, not interesting, but lot, not as cool as those kind of stories. Yeah. I wanted to talk about 
a guy I went to school with who I just would find absolutely hilarious. The guy was an absolute pickle. That's <laughs> the best way to describe him. There's always someone like that at school, right? Oh, he was an absolute tube. Um, he was from Wigan. Um, he was also called James. I won't say his second name. Um, and he was genuinely one of the fucking funniest people. Just, just to watch the way he behaved. He, just, he was, a, a, he was a bit thick. Um, he he didn't pay attention in school. But the, I think the best way to demonstrate how thick this guy was. I've got three stories that I distinctly remember about this guy. And there was one where he got caught with another couple of guys drinking at lunchtime in uh, somebody's back garden mm. wearing a full school uniform so he's easy <laughs> yeah easy to identify teacher drives around in a 4 by 4 whisks them all back to school yeah uh, you know highest level of punishment i can't remember what they were called but it was something it was a something four went yeah. from 1 to 4 defcon 4 yeah um, well, the way this teacher would cut about, you'd actually rather it was DEFCON 4. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the second occasion uh, where I thought well, this guy is genuinely one of the dimmest humans I've ever met, he, they tried to get stoned while at school. They bought a load of load of Rizzler, um, load of fag papers to roll up, and uh, they were gonna they were gonna try and smoke some weed, but they didn't have any weed. <laughs> so, uh... what did they thought? What did we do? We don't want any drug dealers. We're fucking 13. So what they did was they'd heard the phrase smoking grass. <laughs> and he said, where well, this is going. I, 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 I have an inkling, but I, I, I want to watch it unfold. And they went either to the patch of grass outside the school or to someone's front garden again. And uh, yeah, just ripped up some grass and rolled it into a fag and uh, tried to smoke it. <laughs> That would have been been pleasant. But the third story that really confirmed my suspicions that this guy might not be the brightest spark um, was he didn't want to do PE. Um, I think, well, I didn't. I liked PE because we we just played football at my school. My school was very, didn't give a fuck about the PE curriculum, unless it was like the actual qualification as opposed to just the kind of government, you know, mandated, you must do two hours of PE a week. My school, 95% of the PE I did at school was just football. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this guy didn't want to do it, didn't want to take part. So he thought, I'll forge a note. So he forges a note. He says to, say, the, the teacher, the, one of the teachers, I remember, Mr. Milne, to Mr. Milne, uh, James is unable to take part in PE today because he doesn't feel well or he has... He probably this guy wasn't too smart, so I'm not even going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He probably said, "Isn't well." Mm-hmm. Um, please, can he not do PE? Signed, and he wrote, "Dad." <laughs> he wrote D A D. Oh, that's good. Didn't write Mister or like even trying to do a signature, just D A D. And he was made to do his. Uh, he was made to do PE in his school uniform. It was great. So yeah, he was a, he was a funny guy. Uh, my school was my school didn't have as many funny stories as I would have liked. From, yeah, there was kind of funny moments, but um, I don't really remember anything like really hilarious at my school. Yeah. Um, I did. I did. I did have one particularly thick guy at school who is on a par with that. He um, uh, he again. He he had he was a good combination of like 
uh, stupid and a bit of a nutter. He once took a paintball gun into chemistry, <laughs> and every time the um, every time the teacher and you know like classrooms of kids, they they sense weakness. This guy was a bit kind of hapless. This teacher, he was he was sort of a bit vague and not not very on the ball. There were teachers you wouldn't dare pull shit with. Do you know what I mean? And this guy was someone that did people would pull shit with. I used to set fire to things a lot in his in his class, but not nothing on this level. This guy took a paintball um, a gun to school, and every time the guy turned round to to write on the blackboard, he would fire the paintball gun, <laughs> and he'd be writing on the blackboard, and then this like explosion of paint would land just like near his head on the blackboard. Who was that? Who was that? And he cried, "Batson, was that you?" He says, oh, "No, sir, not me." Um, but he got he got a detention because at lunch, for reasons I still don't understand very well. He basically spat on his hand and wrote his name in spit, his surname in spit in capital letters on the dinner table and then got the salt and poured salt all over it and then blew it. So it basically like someone had written Batson in large capital letters in salt across the uh, across the table. And the teacher immediately worked out it was him. He went, sir, it wasn't me. Who else would write their fucking name in saliva and salt on the dining table? You nobody else has that fucking name. Yeah, no one else has that name. Nobody else is that fucking dim. But yeah, no, there weren't there weren't many sort of hilarious stories at my school. Although we did put a teacher in hospital. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Now, this this might be a funny. Well, it's not funny. It's a bit tragic story to end them. But did your brother-in-law, my uncle? Did his class not accidentally kill a teacher? Yeah, they killed a teacher. So we, we put a teacher in hospital because he had ulcers and he used to get wound up about stuff that he shouldn't wind up about. And what happened was it was school photograph day. Uh, we uh, And they would divide you up into your, your... You had the main one and then you would have like the... the you know, your part of the school would do a little photograph as well. And we did the official one and then we said, right, we're going to do a little one that's just for us. And people are doing like obscene, you know, gestures and what putting like you know wearing masks and stuff just for a jokey photograph and he just thought this was all out of hand and he demanded to confiscate the uh the photograph and we wouldn't let him and he got wound up about it and his ulcer burst and he was in hospital for two or three days minor stuff if the guy wasn't so wound up he wouldn't he wouldn't have got himself into that state yeah probably in the wrong profession there isn't he yeah so but my is... my brother-in-law your uncle has a, a, a he can beat that story and he beat so... that story very early on when i when, when we early when we met um, so they decided they were going to prank their teacher and um, see they came back from break and break finished at 11 they all went into the class at like 10.55 and all hid under their desks or hid behind yeah. the big desk at the front and they thought we'll give the teacher a big fright when he comes in they'll go and go like boo and scare him so yeah the, the, they, the background to this was it was it was art class and you have a lot of time sitting around in art class right because what they do is they would go and sit on the wall and go paint that tree or they would kind of sit inside and right, learn to kind of chalk sketches and there'd be long periods where you're just sitting around it's not like right sit down listen i've got to tell you about the fucking french revolution now do you know what i mean it was there would be time where the kids are just sitting there looking at it and like shading i'm coloring in the leaves now and so there was more time to chat and right. and uh, my brother-in-law's class were talking about what scares them or hor- you know horror films you know someone said a horror film scare me obviously you know and the teacher made the mistake of saying to a classroom of teenage kids nothing scares me I don't get scared. I, it's impossible to scare me. And he said it quite boldly and flatly like that. So they went, oh, well, let's see if we can scare him. So right. he's kind okay. of he's kind of the author of his own demise. That's, here, that's my me. mistake. I thought it, they just decided to prank him. So, okay. He was given it the There beginning. was a bit of motivation behind it. So he 
he's adamant he can't get scared. The pupils decide to hide in the classroom and give him give him a little bit of a, a fright. They do, and he suffered a heart attack from the shock and the fright and died. Dropped down dead. They they basically all huddled in behind his desk. So he walks into an empty classroom. It's all completely quiet, and then the entire class jumps out and goes boo, and uh, gives him the shock literally of his life. And it, I think I think it turned out he had a weak heart. So it, it, he um you know he 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 really shouldn't be going around telling like like rooms full of kids that it's impossible to scare him because. Well, do you think he's carried the guilt of that, my uncle? Because he you know works at a. A ward that treats heart attacks. Like yeah, maybe, the cardiology maybe. lord. We'll have to, we'll ha- you know, I've never put that together. We'll have to ask him next time. Next time we see him, we'll have to ask him. That's, uh, yeah, maybe that's it. I have to say, how do you feel about that, you know, all those years later? It's got to be. So, I don't think I've got any other... Well, I mean, I've got some other things I wrote down, but they're all kind of funny stories that I read, and I think we've managed to make it much more about stories of our own. So I, I've probably done all the stories I want to do. Have you? Have you done all the? Ones yeah, I think that that's me. Um, shall we finish off the way we often do with a little trip to see how Florida Man is getting on? And it's yes, been did I while. not send you one? I sent you one that was quite funny. You look for that while I um, while I read off a couple of these because I remember that one. And I don't know what I did with it. I think you, I think you Facebook messengered it to me. I didn't type in the word Florida, so I'm not going to find it. Ah, that's a shame. I can't remember. Maybe it was on Instagram. Yeah, I can't remember either. Oh no, found it. Okay, tell me. A man in Florida shot customers at a convenience store when he brought in a live alligator with its mouth taped shut. That's right, with the video and everything. Because I remember you saying, you read out these headlines from Florida Man, and I always think they're an exaggeration. I watched this video, and now I know it isn't. So I said, I thought, some of these these all can't be real. But now, from from going forward from now on, I will believe every single one. And what it, what it turns out, that this Florida man, he was on his way to just buy a six-pack of beer from the shop, as they tend to be. And it's it's a small alligator, small enough for him to carry under his arm. So it's a, I don't know, it's not a baby's because babies are actually really tiny, but it's obviously smaller than average. And he's grabbed it, he's taped up its mouth so it won't bite him, and he's walked around with it under its arm, presumably struggling, right? Presumably struggling with whatever noises alligators make, walking around the shop, going, "Oh, shall I get cools today? Shall I get fucking bud? Shall I get some other fucking American bitch piss rather than real beer?" And uh, get and people are panicking, running away. And obviously someone calls the police and like arrest him and he kind of says afterwards, I'm not sure why I did it. I just thought it would be funny, that sort of thing. But in the video, he's literally just walking around with like this wriggling alligator under his arm. You just think all the stereotypes are true. <laughs> Shall I, I read the headlines um, that yeah. I've got? This is just a, just a Reddit list that I'm just pulling up. So I'm just going down to see which ones are going to be. Uh, so I might I might click on a headline here and it turns out to be the story might turn out to be grimmer than than the headline. Florida man uh, caught by police claims he broke into a house to hide from a ghost. I mean, I think that would stand up in court. I think it's a, uh, you know, would you believe that he believes it? Yeah, I mean, if you believe in the paranormal. So... According to this, Florida man Andrew George is in jail for allegedly breaking into a home because he claimed a ghost was chasing him. 
he was booked for two counts of burglary. According to his arrest report, dispatchers were called to a Daytona, Daytona Beach historic home. That means a rich person's house, by the way, for a shooting. But it turned out to be a burglary. When officers arrived, they found a man, later identified as George, lying on his back on the front steps of the home, covered in blood and crying out in pain. Um, I don't know how he managed to hurt himself. He said he observed a shadow thing. behind them. Um, I think he must have like, yeah, he smashed through the window. He punched through the window and then climbed through it and obviously cut himself open. Um, he couldn't, he couldn't get into the home due to God telling him the female was a bad person to hang out with. He didn't want to scare a child, but there's a, a ghost going after him. He admitted to taking ecstasy and that's why he believes God was not protecting him from making bad choices. Right. Okay. You get to the bottom of it in the end, right at the end of the story. Um, Some of these just pretty normal, average Florida man arrest for capital for capital riot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right, Florida man loses his arm to an alligator while going to the bathroom. Now I know this sounds bad to begin with, Fuck. but what happened was he's in the queue to go to the toilet in a local bar, and it's taking too long, so he decides to go over to the pond and have a piss in the pond rather than wait for the toilet in the bar. And while he's standing on the edge of the pond. The alligator bites his arm off. The alligator could have bitten something else. That's what you see. He's lucky, lucky as a fucking arm. Kind of lucky. You can get a fucking prosthetic bionic replacement for your arm. But... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Flor- what a fanny. Florida man arrested at Miami airport when the twenty-nine Amazon parrot eggs he was smuggling began to hatch. Oh my god. Uh, a man of this is a man of Chinese nationality. So is he a Florida man? He's, He's in not Florida. Fl- is he from Florida or is he just flying into Florida? I don't know. I don't think that counts. Yeah, I don't think that counts. He's in not Florida, to get old Brexit with it, but you see, if they'd, you see, they wouldn't have said he was of Chinese ethnicity because he could be a Chinese American who lives in Florida. That would make him a Florida man. But they said a man of Chinese nationality, so he's not from Florida. He's from China. That's not the same thing. Have you ever watched those kind of like border patrol shows? There's a lot of them on shows. Australia, aren't they? It's like, and yeah, the, you know, these scor- these are live scorpions. You're not allowed to take these in. It's like, what the fuck are you taking live scorpions the, into another the country? Thing is, like, it's not to be stereotypical, but a lot of the time you do get people from China who are taking in like all sorts of like it, delicacies it, from it te- China. It but- tends to be food that's banned in Australia and obviously has a market over there for people, I guess, because Australia is relatively close to Asia. There, there must be people who've emigrated over there from China and go, oh, you know, I miss some of the food we used to get in the old country. But I think that's what it is. is that a lot of the time it is just like, it's not even like the folk you'd expect to be trafficking or, you know, trying to like smuggle things like that in. It's like yeah. someone's grandma who's just smuggling in like, like deep fried lemur tails, and you're like, yeah, what the yeah, fu- yeah. What do the signs in Beijing say when you're flying out to fucking Australia, where you yeah, think, oh yeah, I this is okay to take? And how the fuck do they get through Chinese? Well, this, yeah, that's um, the thing. I'd, I'd be. I mean, I know the Australians don't take any shit, but I'd be a lot more scared about being caught in a Chinese airport with something I shouldn't. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Maybe the Chinese don't care. Maybe the Chinese don't care about what you know about laws that might be broken in another country. You know. Um. All right, here's this one. I don't, I've no idea what this story is, but I'm intrigued by the headline. I'm sure you will be as well. You know Florida man, but what about Florida cat? <laughs> so I want to know about Florida cat. What's the Let's cat get, done? Let's see. I hope this isn't one of these places that's, uh, you know, sometimes you go on American newspaper sites and it says we're not allowed to show you this in your country. And it's usually GDPR. 
A deranged cat is stalk stalking people in a North Florida community and the attacks have been serious enough to send two people to hospital emergency rooms, according to the sheriff's office. It may be rabid, investigators say. Then again, it might just be a really mean cat. A warning has been issued um, in a town called Louraville, about 80 miles southeast of Tallahassee, that people on foot could be the next target. Um, that sounds like a fucking... Like a B-movie's plot. Yeah, yeah. Attack, of, attack, attack of the Deadly Cat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, apparently the cat just runs up to people and bites them. And it's just... Yeah, that's, it's that's not rabbit. That's bastard. just a dickhead cat, yeah. Yeah, he's just a dickhead. It, I, I was kind of hoping that the cat was like... It got high on some substance it shouldn't and fallen through the, you know, jumped through the window of a local garage or something. So it's not really, I mean, it's just a bastard. It's not, it doesn't have the same amount of colour and, and fun as most Florida stories do. But Florida Cat, it, uh, see if I can find one more before we, there's been a magic mushroom named after Florida Man. That kind of tracks. What is it called? What, what is it called? Like fungi? It's just called, it's just called Florida Man. Oh. It's a magic mushroom called Florida Man. Can't find Floridium homunculum or some. I don't even know if that makes sense. You speak Latin, don't you? What's it called? I I, th- I was trying to think would it be called Floridium homunculum, but I don't even know if that would make I, sense. It's probably something like Homo Floridia, and I don't think your average someone from the South of America would want to be known as Homo. Anything. Homo Floridian. Um, shark jumps out of water and bites Florida man fishing off a dock in the Keys. What the fuck? We've been to Florida. It's not that this, mental. This content is not available in your country or region. That's a shame. This is where we need to get sponsored by NordVPN. That's right, yeah. Who seem to sponsor every cunt yeah. on planet Earth apart from us. Um, oh, he actually... I see another headline. He reeled it in and then it bit him on the oh. foot when he left it on the dockside. That's just stupid. Poor shark. You know what? There must be a story behind this. Florida man arrested after falling through ceiling at medical building in Escambia County. Oh, fuck. Not available. Not available. Right, I'm going to look this up. Escambia County. Medical man falls through. Man falls through ceiling. Man falls through ceiling at infectious disease centre... Come on, that sounds like the start of the fucking Walking Dead. Region. Yeah, I'm having to accept cookies. <laughs> I wouldn't accept cookies from Florida, man. Um, deputies are investigating an apparent break-in after a man fell through the ceiling of an infectious disease centre in Escambia County on Wednesday. It happened around 11:15 a.m., so it's in the middle of the fucking day. <laughs> No further details have been released, but basically, he, the people are just going about their business, and he fa- he's obviously trying to break into the place, and he falls through it. But yeah, it does sound like the opening. He falls falls through the ceiling into the fucking petri dish of like deadly diseases, and then and then goes out on the run and fucking wipes out the population. That's like the Last of Us Florida Man edition. That is the start of The Walking Dead. He's fucking about, and he's gonna get his nose stuck in some infectious disease. And then he's going all around biting people in Escambia County, and that is the start of The Walking Dead. Um, you can't convince me otherwise. Yeah, that's that's worrying stuff, isn't it? These are the end times. Um, all right, I'm going to finish on this because the headline did, did catch my eye. Eighty-two-year-old Florida woman crashes into helicopter. What? Come on, please be. Fa- it's not available in my area. Fuck you. <laughs> this is still quite funny content, to be honest. 
That's in the same county as well. It's another one in Escambia County. I think we found a hotspot. <laughs> Disoriented Pensacola woman. I've heard of Pensacola. I think there's a, a song about Pensacola. Disoriented Pensacola woman drives circles around a medevac helicopter and then crashes into it. Good. An 82-year-old Pensacola woman became disoriented and crashed into a medevac helicopter Tuesday afternoon, according to the Florida Highway Patrol. It took place in the middle of the day. The helicopter was transported. It had just landed to transport a trauma patient to a hospital, so it, they've obviously needed to get... Um, so shortly after the pilot shut down the helicopter and started moving the patient inside the trauma centre, the 82-year-old driving a... Uh, they call it a minivan. I think we call it a people carrier drove onto the helicopter landing pad. While attempting to drive a circle around the helicopter, she the driver's van collected with its left rear into the rear of the helicopter's tail rotor. Thank God he switched the engine off. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like it's like that um did you see that kind of low speed attack on um uh Downing Street the other day? Yes. It's like someone crashes into the barriers but does it so slowly you can barely imagine like if if that was them attempting to crash the barriers, you think, yeah, I want to crash the barriers, but I don't want to damage the car, so I'm going to do this really slowly. I think she just, uh, I think she just lost lost control of the car at low speed. But dearie me, do you see that Westminster thing? It turned out the guy that did it that crashed the car. Yeah. Um Turns out he had a lot of child porn on his computer. Really? Yep. Fucking hell. I did not know that. Uh-huh. Well, did, did did he actually have child porn on his computer or did they put some child porn on the computer so they could thoroughly punish him for attacking the barriers at Downing Street? Well, it depends. There's, your, there's, your, it, there's your conspiracy theory for you. If he works in the BBC or for ITV, he'll fucking get away with it. So. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. It was, it, if, it, it was a TV presenter desperately trying to get to the front of the queue to meet the Prime Minister. I think if, if I've got anything left to say for this month or this edition of the podcast, it's to say that Philip Schofield pulled the Kevin Spacey defence where he met a child who was 10 years old, added them on social media when they were 15, got him a job at ITV on this morning, started a sexual relationship with him when he was of legal age, and then played the whole, oh, I'm coming out as a gay man, and did exactly what Kevin Spacey did, and it fucking worked. Yeah, it it didn't work for Kevin Spacey because he he was just committing sort of blatant assaults, whereas what Philip Schofield does. It's grooming. At, at, at best, it's fucking creepy. Um, and at worst, it's you've been grooming that person for a while and that's not good. And when you see that his brother is like actually gone down for uh, child that sex kind of, offences, yeah. it's fucking weird stuff. It's dodgy stuff. Yeah, so how are the mighty fallen? So yeah, we... Um, yeah, that's not the lightest note we've ever ended a podcast on. Fuck the BBC, <laughs> fuck the TV licence, fuck them all. Yeah. Okay, well, look, we've. I'm glad we checked in with Florida Man. I'm, I'm glad that Florida Man, Florida Woman and Florida Cat are all keeping up uh, keeping up their usual high standards. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our little anecdotes. Have you got anything else to add to, to this episode, mate? I don't think I do. Well, look, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, we hope to bring you another one soon. But for now, we'll say goodbye. This was The Adamsons vs. Tales from the Campfire. Next time, it'll be The Adamsons vs. Something Else. The music was District 4 by Kevin MacLeod. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.